Hello listeners, and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and this week I welcome Brian Bieschke to the show and we talk all about maintaining mobile equipment. Brian is part of our upcoming Maintenance Mastermind Mobile Equipment Edition, so if you enjoy what you hear Brian talking about in this episode, then join us for our Maintenance Mastermind that's upcoming in October. You can find more info on our website at maintenancedisrupted.com. And before we jump into today's episode, here's a message from our sponsor, NanoPrecise. Hello listeners, this is Steve Doby, one of your co-hosts of Maintenance Disrupted Podcast. And we have a sponsor, NanoPrecise. And each week we've been bringing you a machine doctor to the rescue where we outline a save that NanoPrecise has brought to one of their clients. This week, Machine Doctor alerted an early bearing fault in the roller press, which is like the heart of a cement plant, saving the client huge costs on bearing replacement. If you want to find out more about NanoPrecise or Machine Doctor to the rescue, visit nanoprecise.io. Thanks for listening. Now here's your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. Today, I've got Brian Beschke here with me. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Steve. Before we jump into today's topic, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background of yourself? I know you've been on the show before, but uh, it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, my name is Brian. I'm the Director of Maintenance and Reliability uh, for Host Terminals. Um, I started out as a uh, mobile or automotive mechanic um, in working in a shop. Um, and then I went in the military. I was a GSE troubleshooter in the Navy, troubleshooting cranes, generators, tractors, um, all kinds of stuff on the flight deck of the USS George Washington during flight operations. Um, I was hired by Caterpillar, uh, out of the Navy where I was a, uh, a technician for them doing overhauls, troubleshooting, rebuilds, uh, everything you can think of. Um, by far one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Um, and then I was hired away from them to be a field mechanic for a material handling company where I worked on uh, fully hydraulic and fully electronic machinery. And then I was hired away from them uh, to work for host terminals as a uh, as the equipment maintenance manager, which I did for three years. Uh, and then I was promoted to be the director of maintenance and reliability and standardize and scale the maintenance program across the entire uh, company countrywide. So that's where I'm at now. And um, I wanted to be a part of this because heavy equipment is my favorite thing in the world. Um, and I love, love talking about it and love helping people understand that um, you don't have to just do what everybody says to do and best practices and all these things. Um, you know, heavy equipment is a very dynamic thing and you need to do what works best for you. Yeah, absolutely. So like you and I, we're, we're very much in the same industry. Um, like, mobile equipment like that's that's my bread and butter as well so really excited to be talking about it and that actually brings up kind of the the main point of today and you know obviously we're going to be talking a lot about mobile equipment but we've got a maintenance mastermind mobile equipment edition coming up starting in um the first uh the first week of october there um and you are teaching the maintenance management section of that course um so for any of the listeners who don't know, the Maintenance Mastermind is a coaching, um, networking, and training program where we where we have a, about a one-hour recorded video um, about a topic, and 
then we have a workshop on that topic. And then we've got a uh, group coaching sessions and networking sessions um, where we just discuss the content and, uh, and, and the overall program and get to know each other a little bit better. And so Brian is one of our instructors. I believe you're going first, actually. Um, yeah, you're the first topic. Oh, second topic. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm do- doing the introduction thing. But yeah, uh, yeah so. <laughs> and, Dean, no, and, I'm really... and Dean got the week of my birthday. <laughs> I can change it if you like. No, no, it's good. Um, it's good. And uh, I know I'm really excited, like, because uh, I've seen your video, and oh, man, I, I lo- loved what was in there. Um, there's always the. It, it's funny because you know, even though I've been in the mobile equipment industry for quite some time, um, there's always new things to learn, and you find it in always some of the most interesting places. And I, I our instructors that we got are. I think just that they've all got unique experience. They're not necessarily experts in maintenance as a whole. Um, yours definitely is more suited that way. But then we've got like Allison Holly, who has focused so much of her time and effort specifically on monitoring mobile assets. And it's, and it's just such a neat um, area because, you know, well, a truck has seven, 800 sensors, if not more these days. And where are we pulling in that data, right? Is it, is it being used? So anyways, so we've got that program coming on um, the, you can check it out on our website and, um, and we'll be talking obviously a little more with Brian here about it. So um, now just jumping, jumping over to the mobile equipment. Um, why do we treat mobile equipment differently than fixed equipment? Okay. <clears throat> so I recently, uh, I was on a podcast with Reliability X with uh, George Williams, um, and uh, you know the we we saw, I, he asked me to be on there to talk about heavy mobile equipment, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the questions that Joe asked me <clears throat> was, "What is the difference? What do you feel the difference is between heavy equipment and mobile equipment?" Um, and the biggest one, uh, actually the biggest two by far is one being a lot of times fixed assets and plant maintenance and things like that. <clears throat> there's a whole, there's a very large support system for those assets. You have dedicated reliability engineers, you have asset managers, you have teams of supervisors, you have condition monitoring supervisors, you have all these people that are broken up to uh, extend the life cycle and availability of that asset, right? With mobile equipment, there are large companies, gold mines and stuff like that, and large companies that have that same support, but the majority of them do not have that support. It's medium-sized companies who buy a fleet of excavators and and, uh, articulated trucks and dozers, and they do road work or they do uh, small mining operations or they're loading equipment or loading material at a port or something and they don't have that it's mechanics uh, a shop foreman a supervisor and then you have all these other people making the business decisions and life cycle decisions for the asset so that's one it's the support structure around mobile equipment and two the biggest one by far is that we as heavy equipment professionals do not have or well I would say the majority of us do not have a say in the design of our assets. I can't, I'm not, 
we don't, we're not big enough for me to go to Caterpillar and say, hey, you know what? Your 980M wheel loader uh, DPF service every 5,000 hours, it starts alerting us at like 4,700 hours telling us it needs to be changed, but it doesn't go into limp mode until like 5,200 hours. Why? Just let's, let's narrow that window a bit. You know, I know you're trying to give some time, but it always sneaks up on you. And, you know, so that's the biggest one. And it was funny um, talking about it is there's so many people who would love to have that interaction with the manufacturer to say, Hey, we like this, or we don't like this, or we have so many failure modes with this. Is there another way to change it? We don't have it with this. So many people want that. But you can't because we don't have that that connection. But then there's other companies with like fixed assets who do have that ability and they don't utilize it. You know, so yeah, those are the two biggest things in, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great one. Like I've the mobile equipment I've worked with before. I've always worked for big mining companies um, with the equipment, and so I've always had that kind of direct line to Caterpillar or Komatsu or whoever it might be, and you know it's you still don't have a very big stick to wave to actually get a lot of design changes done because they've got a very robust design process and the trucks are being designed or the equipment's being designed for a variety of applications. And if your specific operating context causes one failure mode to show up more than others, then, you know, there's, there's not always a lot of, um, reason for them to resolve it if if you're the only one seeing it but i always find that i always think that conversation is interesting because you know every every place i go to you think it's the most unique they talk like this is the most unique mine or most unique facility facility that that's around it's like no it's you're not that different than everybody else like right um i had sorry good yeah I was just going to say you you've got a unique operating context, but ultimately when you look at your FMEAs or whatever it is that you're, you're using, you've got the same failure modes. It's just which one is currently showing up uh, because of that operating context. Right. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually um, get on my soapbox hard in my video about the changes in operating context and mobile equipment and the high variability in the operating context, you know, um, it's not a pump that's sitting in a factory that's uh, spinning 1,750 RPMs all day long uh, that maybe shuts off once a week. It's something that you're taking that has 15 different powertrain components, 150 electrical components, 90 CMs, uh, you know, tons of hydraulic components. And <clears throat> you're putting an 18-year-old kid in there and you're saying, go haul 400 tons uh, and be easy on it. You know, or you're saying, let's go haul rock for five days and then let's go haul coal for five days and then let's park it for a week and get on the dozers and go rip and then go doze. And then, you know, all of those things play in to the way in which you manage that asset. Um, And I find it, I find very often that people are saying, okay, we have a 345 excavator and I have a 314 excavator. They're the same. They're both excavators. They just same PM, different capacities uh, and, and let them eat. You know, that is such a, a big thing I find with with mobile equipment. And I had the opportunity to talk with some gold mines in um, British Columbia. And, uh, you know, all the struggles are the same. It's all the same. You're just 
they just have a ton of money and have that support structure. And a lot of companies don't, but the problems are the same. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I, it's funny when you, you look at the size of the equipment, because the design really doesn't change as the equipment sizes up, but the, it doesn't always scale well. So like moving to the 400 ton trucks, for instance, like depending on what you're hauling, it's, you know, the 320 ton truck actually performs way better than the 400 ton truck, just because like the economies of scale, once you start building up your parts and your components and your frames and everything to that bigger size, like the engineering doesn't hold up. It's not quite as robust, not as reliable as you get to those bigger sizes. So like a lot of these, especially the larger mining companies, they focus on you know, how do we get more production? You know, we obviously want to use less people, less operators. So you use bigger equipment. And, but we expect the same performance. And I think uh, this is tying in to kind of the, some of the bigger issues with the reliability on mobile equipment is, you know, it's, it's so operator driven reliability and people making the decisions on which equipment to buy typically don't have any sort of maintenance background. And so like, you know, I've been, it, every mine you go to is going to have quite a, mixed fleet and so when you look at f- most plants you know there's some variability or something in there uh, but for the most part if you're going to buy a certain kind of pump you're going to buy a lot of those pumps to to manage your plant a lot of the parts are going to be interchangeable um, whereas with trucks if you have a fleet of 50 trucks and you've got five different manufacturers six different sizes like it's you know, yeah, you got stock, you got to manage others, parts. It's, it's a, yeah. Commonality is key. And, you know, we yeah. call it the Southwest model. It, all the planes from Southwest are essentially the same plane, you know? Um, and, and that is, that's one of the first things that I did when I, when I took over uh, maintaining or, or overseeing the, the, the assets and maintenance for my company is said, we got to stick to one, one brand. Of course it was Caterpillar because you bleed yellow (laughs) yeah it's the right color yellow uh but i wanted to go back to what you were saying about scalability and and let me just use the haul truck example right um you know assets large mining equipment just like any asset it needs to be maintained and you know when you start increasing the size of these components a lot of things become modular right and as you make things modular you're creating more variability and as you create more variability you're creating more variability in the way that those assets are going to be maintained so instead of on a i'll just use an example 775 f which is a 70 ton rigid frame truck okay small compared to the 793s and 797s but um that machine right the final drive the final drive for a a 775 is probably I don't know, 6,000 pounds. It's got like 42 bolts that hold it on like two brake lines. But as you increase the size of that final drive up to 793 and 797F, look at just the sheer magnitude of what it takes to get all that apart. You know what I mean? You've got a crib struts. You've got a, you know, there's probably 400 bolts around the back of that final drive. You have traction control. You have all these things that are on the back of that thing. And it's because it's so much bigger. You couldn't just take the final drive from 775 and go, okay, let's make it five times bigger. It doesn't work that way. 
you've got more reduction now. You've got a larger planetary gear set. You you know so, and the break the braking system is so much more robust and much so much more surface area and flow and it just becomes more. I don't want to say complicated, but it becomes more modular and there's more ability to create vari variability. And then it compounds when someone has to touch it because now that person has to be able to control that variability as well. It's a, uh, it's, 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 it's a crazy thing, but I love it. I would rather work on heavy equipment than anything else. <laughs> I, I often, when I'm in my, when people bring their cars over my house, they're like, oh, it's got this. And I'm, I'm just like, of course I help them. But I'm like, man, this seems so simple. It's like, oh, working on a car is a pain, right? But I would much rather pull the pumps out of a 963 track loader, which would take way longer. But I would much rather do that than mess with a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Somebody asked me the other day if I like big trucks. I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> Who doesn't like big trucks? Like it's, it's uh, obviously that's my job, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I live right next to uh, in Sparwood here. We've got the world's biggest truck. It's not the biggest truck anymore, but it used to be. And um, was it the Belize or something like that? Yeah, that one. Well, that one's in Russia now, I think. Um, but yeah, this is the old Terex Titan. This is back oh. from the eighties, I think. And, um, and yeah, so like everybody who drives by, like, you know, you drive through Sparwood, it's a, a tourist route to get into the mountains and, and, uh, lots of mountain activities and people constantly stop. There's nothing else to stop for in my town. Absolutely nothing. There's no restaurants. There's, there's a Tim Hortons kind of thing. And, um, but everybody stops to look at this truck, take a picture. And so, and this is, this one's a pretty good representation. It's not the biggest, but you know, it's still that 300 and I think it's about 340 tons. I can't remember the exact size of it. So it's a big truck and everybody is always interested in it. And, and, you know, you talk to people and you're like, your job is this big equipment. And, and the interest that they get from talking about how you maintain it and, and the processes and the tools you need and and uh and then when you have failures the processes that you have to go to to try and resolve it one thing that i find is a benefit and again this is more for the bigger companies that i've worked for is because you get 50 of the same trucks or if you have a, a common fleet like the problems when you solve them tend to have a larger impact mm -hmm. just because you can you, you solve it on more units i guess and, and bigger like it's it's part of a production line at the end of the day it's part of your your mine that's that's hauling or or loading or doing any of that stuff and it's uh i don't know i find working on mobile equipment more satisfying than uh the work i've done on fixed equipment <laughs> yeah i mean i i i oversee a lot of fixed equipment too conveyors pumps you know fixed yeah. cranes and things like that and um I like, I, I like the mobile equipment. I, I, I always have, um, it's, it's my expertise by far. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for instance, you find, you find an, a problem or a potential failure mode, you know, like I'll, I'll use an, I, I'm always using examples because, uh, the a D8T, they have a cooler bonnet for the powertrain cooler. And there's an L bracket there that supports the bonnet. Bolts always break in it. And you go on CATSYS and you find that they updated the bracket, updated the bolt, the torque value, you know, all these things. So 
once we did that on one, we didn't wait for the other ones to break. Once they came in on service, we did those updates right then and there because we didn't want, I didn't want the risk. I, I, we knew it was a problem. We had the opportunity and we took care of it. And then we were able to increase the availability of those machines before there was even a problem, right? Of course, that's unsung hero stuff. It's not like no one knows that that's a problem. They just know that the machine hasn't been taken from them to be maintained, you know? Um, yeah. The amount of work that goes into uh, maintaining a mobile fleece and, 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 and fix in general, people don't recognize what it takes. Like there's such a, there's so much behind someone getting in a truck and going like this for 12 yeah, hours yeah. without a problem. There's so much there. And this training is where we, where we want to show that we want to, we want to help people understand that it's, it's unique and it's practical uh, and you don't have to beat your head against the wall trying to do what everybody else is doing. Um, and I know in, I know in my specific uh, part of the program, um, I say a lot of things that most maintenance and reliability people would never say, you know, uh, but I've also done it and I've been a part of large scale operations and heavy equipment and saw that these things when applied correctly and with some discipline, they can be very beneficial for anybody because it's all about your unique operation and not me telling you how to maintain your fleet because it's all different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you talked about risk there and that that's really at the end of the day, what's the, the most important item? What is, and to understand your risk, you got to know what's important to your operation. Like if you're, uh, you're running mobile equipment at a quarry and you know, your usage of your equipment is fairly, fairly low. You've got a few other things going on, then maybe availability isn't the most important. And so you adjust your strategy accordingly. But if you're at a mine where the most important thing is moving those rocks consistently all the time, meeting your mine plans, then availability is going to be a big key for you. Right. And what's the risk, what's the cost and what's the likelihood of failure um, by not doing anything. And, and for some reason, mobile equipment, and I think it's because there's so many, like you have 10 or 15 trucks in a hall that if you lose one, it's not a big impact to production. There's definitely an impact and definitely a, a big cost to it, but you only lose one fifteenth of that haul capacity. Right. And so the risk that people see seems smaller yet, you know, you, you go and you cry about the truck availability because you're not able to move as many tons as you thought, thought you were going to be able to move. And so it's, you're fighting a bit of a, it, they're inherently, how we run them is designed for reactive maintenance and people mostly react on mobile equipment. Like even, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of places that say they run a condition based program, their condition that they're running to is just failure. <laughs> it, yeah. It's completely reactive. It's, you know, right. we change the suspensions when the suspensions, the suspensions are, are, you know, don't hold a charge. It's like, well, that's not that's reactive maintenance like it, it's completely yeah. failed suspension you're yeah. yeah and the whole time the whole time that that failure mode has <clears throat> showed itself 
you're now decreasing the life of your tires. You're now stressing all your bed pins. You're now stressing the frame. I mean, I know, you know, with, with rigid frame trucks, the frame condition is so important. I mean, Caterpillar has specified intervals for checking certain parts of the frames and rigid frame trucks for cracks. It's a very, very common thing. And if you start manipulating the, uh, the angle and the loads and the leverages on that system, <clears throat> you're inherently, cre you're creating more stress and struts are a huge part of that. And a lot of things, a lot of ones people don't understand too is bed shims, having your bed shimmed properly. You, I mean, if you travel around and you look, a lot of them, some don't have any. And some have the right set and some have too high where you can actually look through the frame and the, the bed plate and you can see like this and then it tapers down, you know, at an angle. So it is true that a lot of those things, they're just going, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, oh, it's fine. It's a big, strong truck. It's meant to hold 100 tons, 200 tons. Uh, it'll be fine. But that thought is what you're saying is, oh, well, we have condition. We, we do fluid analysis. We have vision link. We know when it throws a code. Well, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing to make sure that those things are creating value for your, your, your operation? Just because I get an email in the middle of the night that says HT5 has low strut pressure, doesn't mean I've done something. It just means I've been told that something happened. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do about it now? And what, what, what proactive steps or preventative steps am I going to take in the future to minimize it or catch it before it happens? Minimize the risk associated with it. Yeah, this is it. And this is what I'm really excited to learn. Like we've got um, so many great experts and, and that goes, Allison Holly is going to go deep into that topic. And, you know, when I look at the topics, we've got the life cycle uh, of heavy equipment, which is the one I'm doing. Um, you're doing maintenance management. Dean um, is doing uh, maintenance execution. We've got Rob doing a session on leadership, which I'm really excited for. Allison is doing a, the asset health and condition monitoring uh, topic. And then we close out with the continuous improvement and more or less reliability engineering topic. And, you know, within this, uh, you know, I'm really excited. I, I know lots about the things I'm teaching, but not so much about like, I've never managed a maintenance shop. I've never managed an execution team. So I'm really excited to learn from you and Dean on these topics. And, and uh, is there any specific area that you're excited to get a little more knowledge in? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think yours, as far as the reliability side, um, and then I'm curious to see what else has to say about, um, you know, telematics and, 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 and on the line monitoring of mobile equipment. Um, I, I implemented that strategy at my company. I, uh, we have over 200 plus assets on vision link um, and all our fluid analysis, code production, all those things go through there. And we, and we utilize them for utilization-based service. We utilize them for fuel consumption overhauls for engines and things like that. And uh, I'm curious to see where her perspective is on it. Um, I love that stuff. Uh, like I could pull my phone up and show you like everything, <laughs> everything <laughs> on there. Um, I know Rob really, really well. Um, him and I are uh, very aligned in, in how we feel about people um, in maintenance. And uh, Dean, um, I don't know Dean very well, but I'm sure you picked him. I'm sure he's a monster. Um, execution of maintenance. Uh, I touch on it a little bit in mine. Just, I kind of did just a uh, uh, 
a spray of um, certain maintenance checks and things like that, that um, I'm sure Dean can elaborate on. I wanted to try to keep it. I'm sure all of the, the experts wanted to keep it geared towards heavy and mobile equipment. Um, although there's so many commonality, like leadership, for instance, is yeah. so much commonality. Um, the reliability strategies can have a lot of commonality. Um, managing the maintenance can have a lot of commonality, but we all want to try to keep it geared on that heavy mobile because let's just be honest in the maintenance and reliability world, heavy equipment people aren't really that involved. You know, no. they're not. No, they, they're, they're you, you're right. You're absolutely right. And in terms of like a maintenance team, generally speaking, a mobile maintenance team is like in in the mining industry, your biggest maintenance team is part of the mobile equipment. Like the the plants and the fixed equipment teams, they've got they've got their technicians, but you don't need nearly as many to run it. Your PMs are less frequent. Your mate, you bring in contractors for your shutdown overhauls, but like with the heavy equipment, you're shutting the truck down for a PM every 500 hours, and you're getting your hands on just about every piece ever you're getting your hands all over that equipment and you know you need that expertise and and you've got you know you're running these machines 24 hours a day like a lot goes wrong there's there's a lot that needs to be checked and so it it has a huge team of electricians mechanics welders and you know all these people are bringing in their specific mindsets and like i know rob used to work for the company i work for and um like he's, he's well aware of the leadership challenges that are in the mobile equipment space. And I wouldn't say they're necessarily different than the challenges we see in other industries, but we've got a lot more people with some of those challenging mindsets um, that, that you have to tackle. Like you have a bigger team, yeah. I guess. I, I don't know if you, you agree with that one, but. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's true. Um, one thing that's I, I see that's very different with Canada and their mobile. You guys have electricians for mobile equipment. In here, a mobile equipment mechanic is a electrician, a hydraulics person, a pneumatics person, an engines person, a powertrains person, a welder. That's one guy does all those things. <laughs> Um, and, and I, I, I take great pride in that. And, um, I, I, until I started talking with, you know, mine, Canada, I didn't know that you, you have an electrician who uses ET to troubleshoot a code on a haul truck in my world. That's just the mechanic that does that. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, so it depends. So anything that's 24 volt and lower, a mechanic can work on in Canada. But we've, because of our regulations, anything that's considered high voltage has to have an electrician. So if we've got a, a system, yeah, genset, anything with a wheel motor, um, so an electric drive truck, we'll need, a, we'll need an electrician. And then they also tend to have the skill set to troubleshoot the low voltage stuff as well. So they'll often take that work on um, because you know, the, the high voltage system on a truck is, is probably one of the more reliable systems on a truck. So like, 
<laughs> you know, it's you're just moving those electrons from point A to point B. It That's goes right. through now a wire. Parts. You know, <laughs> clearly, clearly, I'm a mechanical person. <laughs> I, I, um, I like I like all of it. I, I I, I feel that I'm very competent in electrical, hydraulic, pneumatic, mechanical engines. And that's only because in my role, being a mechanic my whole whole life, you know, I had to be proficient in all those things to be successful. You know, yeah, I couldn't, absolutely. I couldn't, if I'm troubleshooting, a, excuse me, if I'm troubleshooting a machine um, that has an electrical issue, I don't have anybody to go to, to say, hey, do this, like, this is your expertise, fix this, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, but the, uh, the electric drive trucks are, are neat. And uh, I remember the D7E that came out, a smaller dozer that was full, that was a electric genset driven and all the power cables are clad and they have sensors in them. So if they chafe through, they shut the truck down or shut the, the dozer down, all that stuff. So they were, they were pretty neat, but they didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and, you know, I'm really excited for kind of the next 10 years in the new mobile equipment that comes out. Cause there's, there's a big drive for, you know, alternate power sources and don't get me wrong. I love engines. I think, you know, tiny explosions driving like they're larger explosions on the bigger equipment and bigger engines, but you know, I love that power system. Um, but I'm really excited too, to see what we can accomplish in the electrical drive Um space as we move forward and so like we've got the mechanical drive trucks which are going to be harder to build a power system to support but the electric drive trucks are already designed so i know caterpillar has has their set of electric drive trucks and mm-hmm. komatsu and you know the other vendors as well have have different varieties of it and um and like the stuff that's coming out in that space is, is going to be so fascinating and game-changing and like we've got the trolley assist programs coming out and like that's going to add a whole nother level of maintenance that we're not. Uh, I don't know who's I don't know if anybody's ready for that at the moment. Like, you know, we've we know how to maintain the electric shovels, um, which are big and and have a lot of the similar components and stuff. But the trolley assist systems, I think, are going to be an interesting challenge. I mean, and then you know, do you get... basically alignment at that point? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> and uh, like uh, getting operators to drive and attach to something. You know, I I've heard a few of the stories of the uh, trolley assist at this point, and that's been one of the biggest things is getting getting it hooked on. And you know, so it's I'm really excited like... to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 getting rid of one thing, but you're adding a whole nother infrastructure. Yeah granted that infrastructure that you're adding in the trolley assist system is far less uh it's far more reliable right or you know it's it's there's less to it um it's a power line essentially right like it's there's it there's really nothing that can go wrong with it unless you run it over (laughs) it'll happen i'm sure it will happen uh but yeah i mean it's like you're giving and taking right you're saying we have the skill sets of these people. Yeah. We have the years of data to support a, a, a C-175 engine, right? But you take that thing out of there and then you connect it to a trolley. Now, where's the skill set, right? Yeah. Do we have it? Are, are heavy equipment mechanics, I mean, I'm sure they're not, but would heavy equipment mechanics to be the, that uh, 
that that lineman or whatever they would call a trolley mechanic or something like you know what i wonder what that would look like if people are gonna be like hey i'm done getting greasy i'm gonna go climb poles you know yeah and i, I guess in canada that's where we kind of got the benefit because we've already got electricians that generally are trained on that type of maintenance before they move into trucks like trucks is um it, it's not usually you don't become an electrician to work on a haul truck yeah no <laughs> Um, and, and so that transition in Canada might be a little bit easier, but looking at other places around the world, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, um, see how, how the maintenance world maintenance teams evolve kind of as we move into more of this. And I think we'll see more electric skilled electrical, um, people coming in through, through the mobile equipment world than we we've seen in the past. Right. I mean, they've, they've even coupled, I don't they've coupled it yet with um the autonomous trucks i mean they have that they have trucks straight driving around gps driven there's no one in the op there's no one in the seat you know why couldn't you do that and hook it to a trolley system too and get rid of the diesel <laughs> engine yeah exactly like we've got a few i work with a few of the autonomous trucks and uh oh it's like and again that's a completely different skill set the people you know, it's mostly instrumentation at that yep. point, um, which is, you know, you've got your instrumentation mechanics or instrumentation specialists that are being utilized far more heavily on these autonomous piece of equipment. And so, you know, at the end of the day, though, like it's you, you've got your team and you need to make sure that they're skilled appropriately for what you need to maintain. And just because somebody's a mechanic or just because somebody's an electrician or, or whatever doesn't mean they can't gain the skills they right. need to maintain maintain it in the other areas. So, yeah, I mean, um, heavy heavy equipment mechanics and electricians and people—they're the smartest people that I know, hands down. I mean, the the amount of the amount of skills that you need to have to be competent and successful and be recognized for that competency is tremendous. So so many skills. I mean, I, I hired. I hire and interview over my career, tons and tons of people. And the huge lacking is their ability to troubleshoot electronics and hydraulics. Most guys know about engines, you know, I mean, granted you get the different types of fuel systems, you know, common rail, MUI, hydraulic unit injection, you know, mechanical unit injection, all that stuff. Sometimes they don't really know that, but they have a good understanding of that. They have a good understanding of the implement systems, um, tracks and you know the mechanical final drives and pump drives and things like that but when it comes to sheer troubleshooting like a low charge pressure on a truck or or um, no steering pressure or something like that or a, a code or intermittent wiring issue you don't see like it's very it's difficult to find people who are competent in that but when you get to people who have that foundation nine times out of ten you can train them you can say you put them through cat's uh, basic electronics school or electrical school, or just do OJT yourself. Like, Hey, this truck's got a no start, go work on it with so-and-so, or, Hey, this truck has a, um, an open circuit code for X, go work on it with so-and-so. And and you'd be surprised at the, what they pick up, you know? Yeah, abso absolutely. And you know, that that's something about our training course and, you know, we're, we're trying to enable people to, uh, you know, we're not teaching people how to be a technician we're not teaching people how to be a maintenance manager it's it's about how are we how you know some ideas to do things better and then you can bring your ideas 
to the workshops or bring your issues to the workshops where we work on. We solve it with you because, you know, there's a million different ways to run a maintenance department and there's a million different ways to solve the issues. Pardon me? None of them are wrong. Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, and I think Rob said it perfectly in our, our last episode is, you know, you don't get good at, you don't become an Olympic swimmer or you don't become an Olympic athlete without coaching. You don't get that by watching YouTube videos or just reading books. Like you have a coach, you have somebody that helps you with it. And that's what we're there to do is like, you bring your problems, we'll help coach you through these issues, you know, and we're going to lean on our experience that we've had. And um, we've, there's five of us with a variety of experience mixed and some are, and, but we've got this skill set here that we've put together and we're, we're putting out for everybody to learn from. And then, you know, I think one of the biggest benefits too is, you know, after you're done the training course, you can also lean on us again and each attendee is getting that hour of coaching um, to help with any of those problems too. So it's, you know, training is something that always falls off. It's always the first thing to get cut from a budget, but it's also not always the most useful thing. Like there's lots of different kinds of training out there. And I've gone to courses taking the course, come back. And it's like, okay, now implement it. I'm like, well, I don't know how they just gave me a bunch of content because I didn't know what to do with it. Right? right. And so that's what we're trying to avoid. It's here's content and here's how we can effectively deploy it on real world world situations. Right. And, and the, tra- the training thing is difficult too, because as much as invested into it or as much as can be, or if you invest a lot into your training program, it's hard to quantify it to someone who's not involved with the outcome. So if I send you to training to better understand troubleshooting hydraulics, when you come back to the shop, you're gonna have a foundation understanding of what you need to do to troubleshoot hydraulics. And over time, your repairs will be quicker. Your ability to identify root causes and have a one-time fix and no rework will become better. It's not immediate. People are like, oh, I sent you to training, it was $10,000. We still have trucks breaking down. It's like, yeah you're still going to have trucks breaking down because maintenance is a long-term game. Training is a long-term game, especially in a technical field. You can't, you can't like, for instance, I I've never worked on a airplane. Do I know a lot about the intricate parts of how an airplane could be put together? Yeah. But if you said, Hey, this airplane doesn't fly, go fix it. I'm going to send you to training for $10,000. I'm going to go, good luck. You just spent 10,000 bucks on me trying to figure out how to fix an airplane. Cause it's going to take a lot of time. So like training is just one of those things. It's a, it's a long-term game, but it, but to your point about it being cost-effective is you're right. There's so many trainings where it's like, here's your packet on day one. We're going to go through the packet. If you have questions, ask the questions as we go through the packet. That's reading to somebody. It's not teaching them, you know, application of knowledge is far, far, far more important than just having the knowledge. I'm sure you know people who can spout off a whole bunch of stuff to you, but when it comes to putting the tools to the machine, they're lost. And that's application. That's why specifically in this course, we, I know I did, we write, this is how you can implement this. These are examples of things that are real world examples that you probably have encountered. And this is what you can do to avoid or, or control or whatever to, because it's real. It's not 
hey, here's here's the best KPIs and heavy equipment, which I don't even know how you can get really good KPIs and heavy equipment. But, um, you know, there's all these things. It's like, don't get caught up with that stuff. Get, get caught up with value creation and aligning your maintenance and business objectives to how you can better facilitate maintenance. That's it. It's that simple. And that's what we want to help with from all, from a holistic standpoint, we want to take a big duffel bag, dump me, you, Allison, Dean, and Rob in it, and then give it to you. And then whenever you're in trouble, you open the duffel bag and we're in there all, you know, Hey, I need help with this thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. And I don't think, and I think you should be doing more of the marketing for it than I am. (laughs) I just love love maintenance, dude. Yeah. And it's, you know, in that passion, you know, all those instructors have that, have that passion. Um, but we are coming up to the end of the t- end of our end of our episode. And I do want to give you a chance to plug anything else you got going on there, Brian. Um, so really appreciate the chat. And it was, you know, your the excitement here is like, it's palpable, like, you know, we jump between a lot of different topics on mobile equipment, but you know, a lot of, a lot of fun conversation here. And I'm really excited for our mastermind to dive in deeper and have more of these conversations on a variety of topics. Um, so, but before we close out, is there anything else? I know you've got your Align machine company. What else do you got going on? Uh, I'm been working with upkeep uh, in the maintenance community. There's got some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, I'm, always around i'm talking to as many people as i can uh i i've been kind of on a hiding a little bit just because i've been work has been really got me uh got me going but uh i'm around if you need anything please get a hold of me um you can message me on linkedin and we can connect from there um and i'm down to talk about anything i i love 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 heavy equipment is my favorite thing in the world but i also do tons of other things as well as you know heavy machinery industrial maintenance leadership management, all those things. And um, yeah, so anything you need, just let me know. Yeah, that's great. And uh, appreciate you coming on the show, Brian. And um, I'll put your contact info in the podcast description and it'll go out on the LinkedIn posts as well. And if for some reason you can't find Brian, just shoot me a message at, uh, you can either do it on my LinkedIn or at maintenance disrupted at gmail.com and I'll get you in touch with him. And if you want to register for the Maintenance Mastermind, you can go to our website at uh, maintenancedisrupted.com and it will be on there. If you have any troubles with it, you can also just send me an email or shoot me a LinkedIn message and we'll get you set up nice and quickly. Um, So thanks for coming on again, Brian, and we'll be chatting with you soon.